IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way with positive feedback. Backed by research, kids using IXL are scoring higher on tests. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. Rather than looking at multiple programs to help your child in different subjects, one subscription gets you everything with IXL Learning, and all the kids in your home work off once from pre-K to 12th grade. If your child is struggling, this is the smartest investment you can make. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now, and listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com IXLAV. Visit IXL.com IXLAV to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. A word of warning. This podcast explores graphic and disturbing stories and includes some strong language. It therefore may not be suitable for our young listeners or other folks who may find it disturbing. Hello and welcome to True Crime Daily, the podcast covering high profile and under the radar cases from across the country every week. I am your host, Anna Garcia. Our cases today... A jealous heart can make you do some crazy things, and in this case, the jealous wife has admitted to planning and carrying out an attack on the other woman at a strip club. There was hair pulling, there was bottle throwing, but what makes this case so unusual is that the vengeful, jealous wife is rapper celebrity Cardi B. Cardi B decided to avoid a criminal trial on the felony assault charges, and she's pleaded guilty to two lesser crimes. But first... One of the most disturbing cases of a woman pretending to be pregnant and then murdering a woman who really was pregnant in order to cut out her unborn baby and take it. That baby was ripped from her mother's womb and she ultimately died. And now the accused killer is standing trial right now. What possible defense could this murder suspect have and what will the jury decide? We are recording this on Wednesday, September 21st of 2022. Our guest today is Danielle Iredale. She's a former public defender, a current criminal defense attorney based out of the San Diego area, a friend of the show. And we are just so thrilled to have you back, Danny. You have been so super busy. So we're just like, yes. I'm, I'm really happy to be back. This is a super heavy day and a super heavy case but I'm really happy to be here to talk about it. I know. And I, you know, we are both mothers. You um, had a baby, what, a year ago, maybe? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, I did. I did. Yeah. Yes. Second baby, a one and a two year old. And being a mother does really change our perspective. Mm-hmm. And these kind of cases hit differently. They are so soul crushingly sad. Yeah. This one um, is beyond. And, you know, I had to think about this long and hard when the team discussed this case because it is so upsetting, the details of it. It almost seems like it's one of those crazy movies of the week because it can't be real. But it is real. The details are coming out now because it's the trial has begun and there is even more information that's coming out. It's rather overwhelming, the amount of information. So... um, we just, this is a true case. This is what happens. And, and there were signs that people were suspicious. There were warning signs, but I don't think anyone thought that it would get to this point. No, this of course not. Point, right. Okay. So we're talking about um, 29-year-old Taylor Parker. This case is out of Texas. And she is accused of stabbing a pregnant woman 100 times in an attempt to steal her unborn baby. This happened in New Boston, Texas. Taylor has now pleaded not guilty to first-degree murder and kidnapping, and on October 9th of 2020, 
21-year-old Reagan Hancock was murdered and her unborn baby girl, Braxlin, was cut out of her womb and taken. Can you imagine that the victim's own mother found her? Can you even imagine the baby that you gave birth to you then find on the floor with with her abdomen cut wide open? With the baby missing, it's I I I really don't think there are words. It's so horrifying. And I also read that the three year old daughter was home at the time, which is just the kind of trauma that that can cause is just just beyond. It's incredible. I mean, uh, Reagan was eight months pregnant, preparing to deliver. Um, Taylor, Taylor Parker, prosecutors and cops all say she went to insane lengths and I'm not, not using that word lightly, insane lengths to fake her own pregnancy. And as part of this sick charade that she had, she needed to have a baby at the end of this because in Taylor's progression, she was at about the nine month mark, had told people that she was going to induce labor. She told the father of the baby that she was fake baby, was going to, you know, go to the hospital. And, um, and it is on the day that Reagan is murdered and her baby is taken is the same day that Taylor said she was going to deliver hers. And it is the way this case unraveled in real time with two crime scenes, if you will. So, Danny, there was the crime scene where the mother, Reagan, was found dead. And then there's another crime scene that is that is unfolding about a half hour away where you have Taylor. It's hard to say presumed innocent on this one where she literally has the baby. She has the baby in her possession. And and she has the baby. And what I'm reading is that she's pulled over and then says, you know, I just delivered. I couldn't make it to the hospital. What I find horrifying is that she wasn't on her way to the hospital. We have whatever happened before is so terrible and we'll get into that. But at this point, there's a baby that's not breathing. And but for being pulled over, that baby's not getting medical care. So this is a case where we have this snowball effect of just horror upon horror. Yeah, it's it's just incredible. The way she is discovered is she's speeding and a Texas trooper pulls her over. This is according to authorities. Taylor says, as you just said, I had to pull over on the side of the road and give birth. And she's holding the baby who's not breathing. And the baby, this is all based on the trooper's, you know, notes and everything that happened then. Trooper says that the, that the umbilical cord is still attached to the baby and that he notices that the umbilical cord is going into Taylor's pants. And we later find out that the placenta is still attached to that other end of the umbilical cord. And she had stuffed this down her pants. And she's driving with the baby in her arms. So the trooper, the trooper thinks he's got an emergency on his hands. He sees a baby, a woman, an umbilical cord. I mean, he's not, you know, all you know is you have, that's what they do. They react in an emergency, calls for an ambulance, has the woman who he believes to be a mother who just delivered on the side of the road, has them transported to the hospital. Baby dies at the hospital. And then Taylor refuses to be checked. Now, if you've just delivered, who knows what's happened? You could be bleeding. And she refuses to let any doctor or nurse treat her, which is already ringing a bunch of bells. It's like, huh, this is not very suspicious, right? right? Very suspicious. None of this looks right. Um, so then we kind of have to like, let's, let's look at the timing of this. So Taylor gets pulled over on the side of the road. This is October 9th of 2020, the day she's supposed to deliver a baby. So she gets pulled over at 9.37 a.m. And this is really important because while that's unraveling there, 12 miles away, 
about a half hour later, so not a long period of time, that's when Reagan's mother, Jessica Brooks, calls 911. And this is about 10.18 a.m. She's found her daughter dead and the unborn granddaughter she's waiting for, gone. And the little baby girl, the three-year-old, in the house. Police say that Reagan's body is face down and then there was a lot of blood everywhere and that she was stabbed 100 times. She was strangled. And if that wasn't enough, her head was bashed in with a hammer and then this massive gaping hole where the baby was removed. So police go to talk to Taylor at the hospital. This to me is what's really interesting, and you may find it even more interesting as a defense attorney, rather than denying it, which is, I think, you would think someone who is this crazy, delusional, insane, um, like would have fabricated yet another crazy story. But instead, this is according to authorities, Taylor admits, yes, that um, she took the baby. And she, and she explains to the authorities that she used a scalpel to cut out the baby and that she left it at the crime scene. And then the police are baffled because the, they didn't find that. Oh my God, Danielle, until they do the autopsy and the scalpel is stuck in her neck. The sheer violence of this case is something that sets it apart. This is so outside the mind run of cases that we see, not just the violence inherent in removing a baby from someone's body, but you noted it's the gratuitous violence leading up to it, the bludgeoning, the stabbing. And I cannot get out of my head the fact that the three-year-old girl is there. I, I cannot. My brain keeps coming back to, to the horror of that. Mm-hmm. Because I can't imagine that this was like a silent thing. I mean, it's possible that she was strangled. And then I, I just can't imagine like, I just have to pray because there are some things that, you know, have not been shared with the public yet specifically because of the trial. For example, Reagan's mother, the victim's mother, she would not speak publicly about the nature of the relationship between the two women the one who was really pregnant and the one who was after her baby. She said, you know, they were friends on Facebook and apparently Taylor had gone to her shower, had gone to her wedding. There were photos. They called each other family on Facebook. But the mother has not explained in detail about that. And that's all going to be revealed in in these weeks of the trial. I mean, it's something like 300 witnesses are expected to testify. It's crazy how many people are testifying. So this this trial is a capital case. In other words, we have two phases. We have the guilt phase, whether or not the person accused committed this crime, and then the sentencing phase. And so when you have a case where the death penalty is on the table, it's very common to have that number of witnesses because the prosecution doesn't just have to prove guilt. They have to prove that this case merits the death penalty, which is the most serious, significant sanction. So I suspect that part of what will come out and part of what will be the prosecutor's case is this lying in wait theory, right? They're going to attempt to prove that that this woman sought out the victim and sought her out just because she was pregnant and maybe pretended to be her friend. We don't know, was this woman vulnerable? Was she looking for a friend? What the prosecution needs to prove as as a general matter is that any mitigation is far outweighed by aggravating circumstances. What could possibly be a mitigating factor here for the level of violence and and really, and the level of evidence, in addition to her admission, even though she now, you know, has pleaded not guilty. What? That's a, that's a great question. So there are kind of two things, two, two answers I'll give to that. The first is in a lot of death penalty cases, the guilt phase is almost as a matter of course, because there's overwhelming evidence. For example, the Boston bomber case. 
that was a death penalty case. And there actually was that guilt phase. But Judy Clark, who is a death penalty attorney of incredible renown, basically in her opening said, this was terrible. My client takes responsibility, spare his life. So it's almost just going through the steps. And then we get to the punishment phase. And so mitigation, oftentimes there is no mitigation in the crime itself. Crimes for which the death penalty sought are the most serious, the most heinous, the most break your heart crimes, right? The mitigation comes from from the individual themselves. And so oftentimes we'll see people who grew up with sexual violence, physical violence, extreme abuse, victims themselves. And that's generally the type of evidence that we'll see. I don't know if any of that exists here, um, but that is something that her lawyers will be doing and they'll be putting on. My heart is completely hardened to this woman. There is not one space in my heart where I can have any compassion for her. We're going to talk about some of her problems. We're going to talk about why. Like, so what happened is, you know, Taylor did have two children. And then she had um, two medical procedures, the final one being a uh, partial hysterectomy. This is a young woman. At the Mm -hmm. time, she was married. And um, she was unable to have a baby. And I don't believe that her husband knew what had happened with the partial hysterectomy. And so she was doing everything she could because he really wanted a baby to hold on to him. And so part of her delusion and the, the insane things and lengths that she's gone to, in this particular case, the husband has said that he tried to, she tried to convince him that she was wealthy, that she was an heiress. She had so much money that they could hire an, um, a surrogate to have a baby. Like she was trying to figure everything out. Of course, she didn't have that money. She wasn't an heiress. She made up multiple individuals who were all fakes and phones. And I mean, it's so complicated just, and that part, you know, that just gives you background on, on their marriage. That doesn't necessarily have bearing on this particular crime. This is background, I think, for everyone to understand do I have compassion for a woman who can no longer have a baby? Everyone can have compassion for any man or woman who can not have a baby. That is a painful thing. But there are options. And this isn't one of them. This just, this isn't one of them. So um, her husband at that time divorces her. So now she's in a relationship with a new person. This is Wade Griffin. This is the, this is the man who thinks that Taylor is carrying his baby. And so um, in this phase, in this part, here is what prosecutors say that she did, the lengths that she went to. Of course, she ordered one of those fake baby bumps. Uh, She posted fake sonograms on social media. Here's what I love about this. So she posts on social media, oh my God, I'm having a baby. And the clinic's name is attached to this particular posting. And she had been to this clinic before. So apparently the administrator saw this or someone contacted the administrator and the administrator's like, hold on a second, hold on a second. This woman can't have a baby. We didn't do this sonogram because she's not pregnant because we, we right, but because of HIPAA laws, you can't say anything, anything right? So this woman, and plus the OBGYN who did the partial um, hysterectomy, um, that doctor has already testified, and I'm sure will continue to testify. So the administrator, this is from the administrator's perspective, calls Taylor to say, stop this. Stop with these lies. Do not post anything on social media that has the clinic's name on it. Because you know damn well <laughs> that that is not an accurate sonogram. Then, okay, here's the amazing thing. At least two people in Taylor's world were suspicious and called the clinic when they saw the name of the sonogram to see if they could get information. And of course, the administrator can. couldn't say, can't say anything. So the administrator has told authorities um, that she said to the two friends, follow your gut. That's all she could say. I mean, you can't get into trouble for that, can you, Danielle, to say, you know, I can't tell you anything. All I would say to you is follow your gut. It's 
up to the line, but I don't prosecute, you know, HIPAA violations. And I think that we're going to move on from anything that happened. Oh, yeah. Right. That would be a sideshow. Nobody cares about that in this case. Sorry. You know, right. Because there is fraud here. and, And I mean, she even had a reveal, a gender reveal party. Here's the other thing that drives me, like, really frightens me, as as horrible as all of this is. So prosecutors say that she would stalk other OBGYN clinics where pregnant women would go, and she would be looking for pregnant women and writing down their license plates. She would go to, like, consignment shops or shops where pregnant women would go. Again, stalking out pregnant women. Oh, and at one point, she managed to force her way into some kind of like a support meeting for pregnant teens. Teens, teen mothers. Just adopt a child. I mean, I'm not to, I mean, I just. The, so I think, I suspect that'll be a big part of the prosecutor's case, the way she is alleged to have stalked and sought out these vulnerable victims, right? Someone carrying a baby and to set their sights on it. And one of the things that is relevant in the in homicide law is premeditation and deliberation. So murders that are in, I'm sure we've heard this term, the heat of passion, are punished less severely than cold calculating murders where there's evidence that the person had time to think about what they were doing and she instead had of having months. time exactly <laughs> she had having nine time and stepping back and realizing this is not the way to go about it but mm. and i want to bring something up and i i'm concerned because it's somewhat can be i, I need to explain this in a way uh, that makes sense but you said something that i think is unquestionably rational and makes a lot of sense. You said, I don't have compassion for this person, right? And so the next step, and I get this a lot in my role as a defense attorney is questions like, how can you represent that person? And I think the answer is twofold. For a lot of my clients and in a lot of my cases, and I'll be clear, I have never I have had a lot of serious cases. I have never had a case like this particular one. But in a lot of my cases, the client themselves are my motivation. My clients are multifaceted people. I don't think anyone should be judged by the worst thing they've done on their worst day. But then I have something else that motivates me and something that I think motivates people who do capital defense. It's an incredibly emotional and difficult profession when you're representing people who the government is seeking to have killed, right? And it has to do with a faith and a belief in the system, right? Believing that everyone, not based on who they are, but because they're a human being in this world, deserve to have the protections of our criminal justice system. And if you waver and if you say, well, in this case, you know, we don't need to abide by this rule or this or that, then you've wavered in your convictions and it breaks for everyone. So there is, I think, something extremely admirable about working in this field, people who oppose the death penalty and then also people who perhaps don't oppose it, but certainly if it is going to be administered, it has to be right. It has to be done in the proper way with all of the protections because that's our government, right? That's our that's the state killing someone. So it needs to be done right. And, and we know that in some cases, people, individuals have been executed who were later exonerated. Yep. DNA yep. evidence later exonerated them. Absolutely. And Danielle, you know, I... I do believe she has a, obviously, I believe she has a right to her defense, her day in court. A jury will decide that. I said this from the very beginning. It's like, what defense can this woman present to the jury? I have no idea. We haven't, you know, I don't know if she's going to take the stand. It'll be interesting. Um, I, I do believe in the jury system. This jury will make a decision. They will hear all the evidence. And here's the other thing. You know, this all sounds horrible because it is horrible. But, oh, yes. but we all, we all have a right 
to know exactly what happened. And in this trial, we will learn the details um, as presented and then defended about what was going on at what time, and we will have a clear picture. What is presented in the media and the public is only a part of it, and we know that. And so we're waiting on this trial to fill in those gaps. So, yes, <laughs> she absolutely should stand trial for murder without question. Every state has their own jurisdiction, and they decide on, on capital murder charges that, you know, that is a jurisdictional state issue. I, um, yeah, I, I am surprised that she's decided to go ahead with a full-on trial because this is painful. This is not only painful for, obviously, for the victim of the family, but this is not so great for, um, you know, the woman accused. It, it is so... I I can't imagine the victim's family what what they're going through and then to have to relive it actually gives me chills to have to relive finding it almost makes me want to want to cry thinking about yeah. finding your child and then where your grandchild should be it it is and and that I that should be clear this is horrifying and so and so devastating um i I suspect that um and and i don't know right i don't represent her i don't know but there are often times in our my profession where we need to go forward with a trial because it's a situation where there's quote no offer no offer from oh that's yeah that may very well be Mm -hmm. so there are cases that are almost like we call them slow pleas because the evidence is there, the evidence is overwhelming, but there's no offer. And um, perhaps the the prosecutor in this case has said, we want the death penalty. We're not willing to offer, you know, life without parole. And that for yeah. that reason, we don't know. For that right. reason, there's, there's a trial. And the other thing is, because of um, how widespread this web was, how big her web of deceit. I think it's important on a moral level for the community because in many ways this crime was inflicted not only on the victim and the victim's family and the father of that baby, but on the community. On the community. Um, because of the allegations of how far it went and all of the devious parts of it. And so I believe that the community has a right to hear this. They will be a part of the presentation of the case and, and the sharing of the details of this. Um, but this act, this, this horrible criminal act, was obviously ultimately perpetrated on a mother, a father, and a family, but also on this community. And they have a, a right really, to hear it and be a part of it. That's a really interesting point. And, and they do have a right. There is a right to speedy and public trial. And that's something that goes very far back in our system. Courtrooms are open. Anyone can walk into any courtroom, any trial and come in and watch. And especially if this is a smaller town, a smaller community, I'm sure it shook the entire place. Yeah. So after a grand jury indicted Taylor on capital charges, she pleaded not guilty. Her trial began September 12th. That was just last week. Uh, in opening statements, prosecutors alleged that Taylor had gone to great lengths to fake this pregnancy, and she had a history of fraudulent behavior, which we've kind of like really touched on. But there are many more details that are emerging from this case, and we could go on for hours with the level of detail that is being released um, as this podcast is being recorded. And so friends have testified already about her desperation to have a baby, um, that she became obsessive with her fertility issues. And because she couldn't have a baby, this is the most extreme level. And we've seen cases like this before where women who can't have babies snatch other women's babies, take babies from hospitals. I mean, we've seen this, this, this really is a fear. It does happen. I think every single person who has ever had to watch a baby, whether it's yours or not, on your child, and you have that one moment, 
you know, in the department store or wherever, <laughs> and they're out of your sight for like a second, and you're like hyperventilating, and you're like, oh my god, someone is still my child. Down, and you know, it, I, it, you think three, two, one, can I just start screaming and make them close the doors? It is the worst oh my god. feeling, even if it's for two seconds. Oh. It is so horrible. It, I'll never forget once I was in a department store and Lorenzo was playing in the racks, you know, those circular clothing racks. Yes. I couldn't find him. I was a, oh I was about to just I was I was just going to die that very moment. Oh, yes, absolutely. It is. It's horrible. I I brought my kids to a little toy store and it happens in one right in one second. I had daughter down, turned son, and he actually was really right by me. But you on you can only understand right one one millionth of of this pain and this fear, but it's there. It happens right away. Yes, because people do snatch other people's children. It happens. It happens a lot. Um, this, of course, is like the worst possible um, ending to something like that. I I, I want to share one other thing um, that's part of the evidence for the days leading up to the the death. And then the taking of the baby, police say that Taylor was watching videos on YouTube about how to give birth, how to do a C-section, specifically at week 35. On Really? Like she, the amazing thing is that she really thought that she could pull this off to cut out a baby that isn't born yet, take it, like... What kind of a plan is this? And here's the crazy thing. Wade, the boyfriend, you know, of the fake pregnancy, he said, oh, yeah, she was going to go in at lunch time. And I was going to meet her. I was going to meet her after. Who does? I mean, I and and she had already and Taylor supposedly had come up with a crazy plan. How when she would go in for having the the um, the induced labor, right? Fake, fake induced labor. Somehow she was going to like cause like either a power outage or call in a bomb threat. She was going to do something to disrupt the hospital. So it would go from, oh, I'm pregnant to, oh, here's the baby. Which would also, by the way, disrupt the entire hospital and put other people at risk and other people in danger. I just complete, complete insanity, insanity. So the trial is going on now and it's supposed to last about a month. She's being held on $5 million bail, as we've said. She faces the death penalty of convicted. I can't wait to hear what the jury has to say about this. Our next case is out of New York. And you know what? Of course, any case of assault is serious. But after what we just discussed, I really thought we need to take a turn in a totally different direction here. Totally different direction. So this is a case really about a wife's jealous heart that got her arrested on assault charges. You know, we we talk about love triangles all the time and how badly these love triangles can end. Thank God no one is dead here, okay? Assaulted, injured, not dead. So we're talking here about singer Cardi B pleading guilty to two misdemeanors because she assaulted two sisters that she suspected were sleeping with her husband. So there were two assaults Uh, The second one was a brawl, and that happened in Queens, New York, at a strip club. So Cardi B is 29 years old. Her real name is Belcalis Almanzar, and she has been sentenced to 15 days of community service after pleading guilty to third-degree assault and second-degree reckless endangerment. The charges stem from Cardi B's 2018 assault on two female bartenders at the Angel Strip Club in Queens. What I find interesting here, Danielle, is that this case goes back to 2018. Ultimately, it was a grand jury that indicted Cardi B on the felony assault charges. And it took a very long time to get to this point. It seemed as if there was no budging, that this this was set to go to trial. So, look... Danny, I know that in the world of rappers that, um, you know, 
sometimes things happen in clubs a lot of times. Um, but, but this one is different because this isn't about an argument over you shoved me or whatever. This isn't an argument over who sells more songs or East Coast, West Coast. This is basically a woman, and we can all appreciate this man or woman, who suspects that the husband she loves, the father of her children, is cheating. And she's like, I am out to get that B-I-T-C-H. So uh, I, have a, I have a lot of things to say on this case. Um, I, I think, you know, I used to be a public defender in Manhattan. So I didn't work in Queens, but of course I worked with New York law. And I, I noticed you, you pointed out something that was very interesting. She was actually indicted on these felony counts. And then it is somewhat unusual when the prosecutor takes the step of indicting you to then go back and offer the misdemeanor. Uh, I'm a huge Cardi B fan. I'm also Me too. A huge, I do. Right. I love she's, her. She's hilarious. She's, she's smart. I mean, there's a so lot talented. to love. There's yeah. a lot to love about her. <laughs> and I am a huge fan of her lawyer, uh, Drew Findling or Findling. I'm not sure how to pronounce it, but he is. He was president of the National Association of Criminal Defense Lawyers, and he's a pretty awesome guy. So in this case, it is odd um, that she got indicted and then she was able to get back that misdemeanor offer. But there's something different in New York with their assault law that I wanted to point out that I think is, is relevant here. In California, for example, for assault, there's no requirement of injury. Right. If you go up to someone, you wield a knife or you attempt to punch them, but they come away uninjured, that's assault. In New York, to prove assault, there has to be injury. And mm. when we look at what injury is, at least when I was practicing, it was a pretty high bar. It's not like, oh, I got a little a little red mark. They have to really prove injury. So I'm not sure if she was indicted on the class D or class B felony. If she was, those felonies do carry their violent felonies. They carry minimum requirements of prison time. So it was wise of her, certainly, to resolve this case with a misdemeanor and what's called a conditional discharge. It means uh, this case will be resolved as long as you do the community service, it's over. But in order to prove those assaults, the prosecutors actually would have had a difficult time at trial because they'd have to prove the injury. We don't know the extent of the injury here, uh, but it would be up to a jury to see whether or not that was there. So it's not just whether or not was it Cardi B, uh, what happened, it's whether or not there was injury. So, you know, this case was resolved in a way um, that I think was a smart move for for her. I don't know what the 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 injured parties, what the aggrieved parties think of it. I, I don't know if, if the district attorney consulted them, you know, prior to making this offer. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's also not unusual that we have a case resolving this many years later. Uh, New yeah. York criminal dockets are so full. And, and COVID, of course. And that, right, and COVID. That's a great point. COVID it really delayed it everything, more. you know, and yeah. this is extremely high profile. So as part of Cardi's sentence, and we're going to get into, into the assault and what happened because it's part of the plea agreement, Cardi B had to admit to details and facts in this case, which were not very complimentary to her about the assault. That was part of the deal. You have to own up to these facts before you can walk. It wasn't one of these like, okay, yeah, we're out of here. And so I know that may sound minor and we do take assault very seriously here, but actually I think it's important. I think it's important not to wash away what happened here because this is serious. So Cardi's sentence includes a three-year full protection order for the victims Cardi and her entourage cannot go near these two sisters. And Cardi knows it. And for three years. And if Cardi or anybody in her entourage should try something, Missy's back in court and it's not going to be pretty. Exactly right. That's with that conditional discharge. She'll come back and they can unwind it. 
Right. And it's a long one. You know, it's a long one. It's three years. So I guess the, the theory here is someone was thinking it's like, oh, a woman scorned. They don't get over this quickly. We got to like, we got to build in time for the healing. <laughs> got to build in the time I, for the healing. I I, gonna, I like that. Build in time for the healing. I'm going to use oh, that yeah. in court. I like it. Okay, there you go. <laughs> go right ahead. Um, now, there were two co-defendants uh, who were unnamed in this case. So here's the background. All right, so Cardi married rapper Offset in 2017, and then they split in 2018, and then they got back together again. It was one of these on-again, off-again things, and this happened in 2018. And so they have two children, a four-year-old daughter and a one-year-old son, who are very, very cute if you follow them on Instagram. And there have been allegations that, you know, Offset had been cheating on Cardi B and Cardi has defended him. She has defended. And this is what's so interesting. It's like, here is a woman who is gorgeous, has money, has fame, has celebrity. She could have anybody she wants, but she is stuck on this guy, right? How many, I mean, it's like, it doesn't matter how rich you are. You are not (laughs) immune to the insanity of being in love with someone who's not good for you. (laughs) The heart wants what it wants. Oh, no. That's not the first time this comes up. And it's not the first time that there are allegations of infidelity when someone has the prize of the century, right? Beyonce maybe was cheated on. And I remember growing up. J-Lo. Yes. It's insane. And I remember growing up the big one, Liz Hurley. Do you remember this? Liz Hurley. Oh, my God. Liz Hurley. Yes. Huge one. Yeah. So this, yeah, you could have the most perfect woman in the world, perfect for you, right? A woman who's got it all. Again, she could have any guy that she wanted. There's a lineup outside her place. And yet this, okay, so she's in love. We get it. Trying to hold her marriage together. Everyone can appreciate what it is like to be in a relationship as it is crumbling. And when a relationship is crumbling and when secrets are being revealed or hurts are being revealed, we do not act in the most, um, we are not our best selves is what I will say. And this is Cardi's definitely not best self. Okay. So let's get to the incidents. So Cardi B believed that these two sisters, at least one of them, or maybe both of them was having an affair with her husband and Cardi was just not having it. It was just not going to go down on her watch. So the victims in this case are sisters. And at the time of the incident, they both worked at the angels nightclub. According to NBC New York, before the brawl in New York, Cardi allegedly confronted the sisters in Atlanta in June of 2018. The, Which is totally nuts to me that this is a multi-jurisdictional <laughs> situation. When I read that, I was a little bit blown away. I don't know more facts besides that there was a confrontation, right, in Atlanta? Correct. But that was not the end of it. That was not. That was not the end of it. So then there are a series of threats that are made by Cardi after the Atlanta incident. Remember what we said. Cardi had to stipulate to the truth of these events in court when she pleaded on the lesser charges. Okay. So police say, this is when it's like, again, Cardi's not, it's not her best self. Police say Cardi offered an acquaintance $5,000 via Instagram to help her beat up the sisters. That's a lot. That's that's intense. Right? Yeah. Clearly, she's a scorned woman. So two months later on, let's move along to August 15th. So there are two incidents in the club in Queens. So on August 15th, the younger sister was allegedly attacked while working at the club. Her hair was pulled. She was punched and her head was slammed on the bar. Very violent. Very, very violent. One would think maybe this is the end of it. It is not. Then, according to police, two weeks later, on August 29th, 2018, Cardi returns to the club with an entourage to watch her husband offset perform with Migos. Okay, reason to be in the club. Now, if I'm the sisters, Offset's performing and Cardi B's walking in with her girls, I'm like, oh my God, can I have a shift change? You know, this is not, 
It's like schoolyard stuff. It's like, hide me in the closet here. <laughs> Get me, save me. So, okay, so now both sisters are there. Cardi B's rolled in, Offset singing. This is a disaster. <laughs> Full-on brawl here. I mean, they're throwing chairs, bottles, hookahs, hair is being pulled. You can picture this. You, it's like... It's like, you know, the narrative of a rap song. <laughs> it's just, yeah, you know, nah. what? I it's mean, true. It certainly, I don't know about that, but it certainly seems wild. I would not want to be there. It would make me very No, nervous. no, 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 no. So Cardi B was reportedly seen in surveillance video from both incidents. One source claiming to have seen her throw an ice bucket at the two victims uh, while both victims suffered injuries, they reportedly declined medical treatment. That goes back to your point about injury. So yep. shortly after this melee, Cardi and the nine other members of her entourage leave. So it's not until October. So this incident happened in August. It's not until October of 2018 that the rapper turned herself into police after an employee identified Cardi as a suspect in the brawl. So Cardi rejected a plea offer um, in May of 2019. So moving forward, 2019, this would have been before the pandemic, which would have granted her a conditional discharge on misdemeanor counts. So she was offered something and she's like, no. So after denying the plea, she was indicted by a grand jury on the two felony counts uh, of attempted assault. So they, they tried to deal with this. She's like, no. And then, uh, yeah, I think it would have been a problematic trial. So trial was scheduled for this month. And then last week on September 15th, Cardi accepted the plea from prosecutors. She had to admit to the details of her bad behavior. She had to plead guilty to two misdemeanors. And then the 10 other counts, including the felonies, were dropped. So after the hearing, she released a statement. And so, you know, we a lot of things obviously have been said about her. So she has a right. Whenever we can get a statement from the people involved, we like to read them. So she wrote, quote, part of growing up and maturing is being accountable for your actions. As a mother, it's a practice that I'm trying to instill in my children. But the example starts with me. I've made some bad decisions in my past, and I am not afraid to face and own up to. These moments don't define me, and they are not reflective of who I am now. I'm looking forward to moving past the situation with my family and friends and getting back to the things I love the most, the music and my fans. That is only Cardi B. I mean, so if you, we're going to put up the photos here because... You know, the photos of her in court. I mean, she looks magnificent, right? She She's in this beautiful. So gorgeous. Oh, my God. Such a diva. Yeah, She's got amazing. a cream dress on, fabulous red hair, the glasses, the, you know, the 20-inch nails. Um, I mean, she looked incredible. And um, clearly, she thought she looked pretty good, too, because uh, both on her Twitter and her Instagram pages, she took, you know, the publicity or the news photos of her. <laughs> from court did a collage you know she did look amazing she did look amazing as she's walking down the steps and you know when i look at the news coverage yeah this is a celebrity and there's a lot that goes into it but even the new york times to write the details of the kind of shoes she was wearing and who the designer I thought that was hilarious the dress designer and the shoes it was so funny she was wearing Proenza Schuler. I mean but really who who would say such a thing at the I mean it's like really it's like you're the New York Times we're talking about an assault case but whatever but whatever um so it, you know if you get a chance to look at her Instagram then she does a lip sync to her own song after the court case because she's wearing the same clothes in the car so hey uh. <laughs> the, the statement though really was fantastic right I think that's that's exactly right. Taking responsibility, moving on, setting a better example. I, I really think the statement should be commended. And I don't want us to finish without me bringing something up. I think is something that ought to be talked about in these cases, which is I, I'm only surprised when wh whatever the gender is, right? Whoever is the cheater, cheated on, whatever the you know parties in the relationship are. But I'm only surprised about you know, the anger that's directed specifically at the outsider and and not 
at the one in the relationship, right? The one who actually did the betrayal. And this comes up a lot. Of course, I think it's normal. If I was ever in that situation, I would be just so angry at, you know, whoever came in, you know. If, oh, I'd be mad at everybody. Right, <laughs> at everybody. But I always think, you know, who's the, the real one who's doing the things? It's the one that you love, the one who's betrayed you. And I find they're so rarely the 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 object of wrath. It it seems like it's often directed out mm-hmm. of the relationship, which is kind of an interesting psychological thing, right? Yeah, and I think in this case, when you're dealing with celebrities who cheat, there's a, a level of public humiliation that the rest of us, when we deal with our heartache, don't have to be subjected to. And that can That's be very painful. That's a really good point. That's the a public really humiliation, you know, of of people talking and knowing. And it's just publicly and then maybe in the club, you know, which is your space, your community. So uh, just one thing, if you follow Cardi B on her Instagram, um, a week before this, um, she posted something that, of course, I love, where she made a surprise visit to a middle school in the Bronx, the one that she went to. And there weren't news cameras and all this. I mean, they, she, you know, they were recording it on the phone, but it wasn't a publicity thing. I mean, obviously she made it public. What I'm trying to say is there weren't a row of cameras standing there in the Bronx. Cardi B shows up, surprises the kids in the auditorium. How exciting is this? And she donates $100,000 to the music program at the school. Okay, I get it. You're going to say, hey, this is PR mitigating. Um, You know what? Even if it is all that, those kids benefit with $100,000 for their music program. And so I totally agree. I hope that Cardi B continues to do all the wonderful things that she does and that um, she finds a man who deserves her. I'm going to I'm going to co-sign the Cardi B continuing to do all the wonderful things she does. I think she's pretty awesome. It is time for our comment section. These are the crime cases you all are talking about on our social media. Here's our producer, Will Updike. Hey, Will. Hey, how's it going? Good to see you, Danielle. Good to see you. All right, so we have an interesting one this week. It's a case of the executive of a plant-based animal product replacement company indulging in a very, very bizarre meat. Oh, my God. Oh, my God, Will, I'm obsessed with this case. I'm obsessed with this case. Yeah, it's so it's this one. It comes out of Fayetteville, Arkansas, and the chief operating officer of Beyond Meat, the you know, the plant based meat alternative company stands accused of biting a man's nose after a college football game. There's so much going on here. You know, you got the college football aspect. There's like a road rage aspect I'll get to. And also just. The irony of a of a plant based uh, meat executive biting a man's nose. Uh, so what happened here is, according to a report from KNWA, uh, Saturday, <clears throat> September seventeenth, Douglas Ramsey, that's the COO in this case, allegedly committed the crime near Razorback Stadium in a parking garage, and this was following Arkansas's win over Missouri State. So I'm sure you know a lot of emotions going on there in Arkansas, uh, really pumped up. But officers reportedly responded to Gate 15 there near the parking lot shortly after 10 p.m to a report of a disturbance. And KNWA reports that the officers found two men with bloody faces there. Um, so what happened? Like how, how this all escalated is according to the Associated Press, another driver merged in front of Ramsey in traffic and he got really really upset. I'm guessing, you know, it's one of those parking garage situations where you're waiting forever after a game. So after this driver cut him off, Ramsey gets out of his car and he punches out the driver's back windshield. It's nuts, right? And then this prompts the driver, of course, to get out of the car. And at this point, Ramsey hits this driver and then bites the tip of his nose, which like, I guess, you know, like ripped up the flesh. And then he doesn't stop there, though. Apparently, like he he, you know, he's accused of like threatening to kill the man. Um, And but witnesses ended up, you know, coming in, separating these guys before anything could, you know, escalate any further, get any crazier. But Ramsey was arrested and booked into Washington County Jail. He was charged with terroristic threatening and third degree battery. According to records, though, he was released from jail on a bond a little over a thousand dollars about a day after this all occurred. Um, Wow. I just don't know how you get to that level in a, you know, a traffic 
altercation, even if it's right. after a game or something. Uh, But the irony of this was not lost on our viewers and listeners. Uh, Dregden F said, really going beyond, huh? (laughs) Which, yeah, I mean, this is nuts to to get to this level. Savage, a lot of people kind of piled on beyond me, which I'm going to stand by and say, I'm actually a huge fan. Chicken nuggets are fabulous. Uh, I really like beyond me too. Yeah. I think the, like the burger. I love that. And stuff yeah. Them and impossible. I love both these companies. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. But people took the opportunity to pile on. So Savage said probably the best meal he's had in ages. Oh, uh, <laughs> I like, we can't, I, I mean, I'm assuming that this guy isn't necessarily vegan. He just works for this company. Previously he worked for like Tyson poultry and stuff. It just seems like he has, uh, experience in the food and especially kind of meat uh, industries. The revolution says you can only suppress cravings for so long. I don't know about a craving for a nose, uh, but I don't think that Beyond Meat is getting you to that point. Uh, War and Peace says, looks like meat's back on the menu, boys. Um, which, yeah, I don't know. Uh, and then there were a lot of comparisons of this to like some other popular Cannibal Axe, uh, but we'll keep it to just one. Cat Santos said Hannibal Lecter has entered the chat. Uh, somebody also piled on and said that it would wash down well with a nice Chianti. And oh, <laughs> um, yeah, I'm, I'm always a fan of a good Silence of the Lambs reference. But yes. yeah, this is just this is just nuts. The whole it thing. It really is. It is like the, you know, second half of this. Pro- well, actually, every everything we talked about today, everybody's just like lost their mind. At some yes. point, you know, just making horrible decisions. Uh, I wonder if he survives this, you know, because it's so, it's so against the company. It's and, a bad you know, look. It's a really bad look for a company that makes a meatless product. Yeah. <laughs> that's publicly traded, you know, and it is just bad. bad. I don't know if he survives. Yeah, I don't know either. I, poof. Yeah, that that like a football game kind of losing you losing you your job is who that's a step too far. Gosh, isn't it? It's so stupid. So People stupid. doing stupid things. Uh, but we're happy to bring this case to you. Uh, love hopping on every week. If you want a chance to get your comments featured on this show, go ahead, leave those over on our YouTube community page. You can also leave those over on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. We're there. We'd love to talk to you. We're still in the quest for our 5 million followers. So please help us get to the goal. We're going to do something very special. We're going to have some some. So people, some fans featured on the show. Uh, so definitely get included in that. Uh, yes. That's, yeah. Isn't that crazy? We're going to have, you know, all you wonderful, not all of you at the same time, although that'd be kind of fun. We haven't figured out how we're going to do it, but we're still developing it. Although we got to hurry up because we're like, what? Um, 4.92. We got, we're like inching amazing. closer and closer. Uh, yeah. So a- every subscription helps. Tell your friends, tell anyone you know who might be into true crime. Uh, you know, we're I just think it's going to be fun because we do all this interactive stuff um, on the back end where I love to hear your comments, your theories. Sometimes you have the most brilliant things. It's like, wow, why didn't I think about that? And you know that I love to be interactive with you on YouTube. Um, I know Will does as well. And I, we can't get to everyone, but boy, we sure do get to a lot of them. I mean, for sure. You all know. Um, and I always love to personally welcome people to the program. So I think it's going to just take this to the next level. I can't wait to have folks on the program. Absolutely. Me neither. That's going to do it for me this week. I'll catch you all later. Bye, Will. Danny, Danny, Danny. Thank you. It was excruciating at the beginning of the program, but I think we ended, um, slightly lighter, more interesting note. Um, where can people find you? I have an Instagram. It's Iredale Law, I-R-E-D-A-L-E-L-A-W. So I'd love it if you went on there and followed me. Um, I also like to check the comments. Uh, I think it's super interesting what what people say. I like being able to bring a little bit of a different uh, spin to things, and I like being able to chat with you. Well, a lot of the comments are always about what beautiful eyelashes you have and that you look like Sarah Michelle Geller. I'm just saying. Uh, <laughs> I'm bracing for those comments. Is, color me super flattered. Um, super nice. Um, that That is very, very sweet and lovely. 
Ashley Tilsdale also is a, is another one that they compare. It's just funny. It's just funny that just the uh, things aside. I mean, obviously we talk about crime, but it's like this is a community. We have a discussion. I mean, let's be real. It just totally. is what it is. I think I think sometimes um, it's why I wear bright colors. Sometimes we have a lot of sadness and harsh realities in the world, and being kind of silly sometimes. I think the joy that gets you through. Absolutely. Uh, you can find me at Anna G News, Anna with one N on all social media sites. You can get all of our episodes wherever you get your podcasts. We have so many podcasts out there. Bazillions. <laughs> you can subscribe to our um, True Crime Daily YouTube channel and sign up to receive our newsletter at truecrimedaily.com. So until next week, I'm your host, Anna Garcia. And as we always say, don't do crime. You know that science solves crimes. Forensic science is exciting, challenging, and most of all, rewarding work. But there is a shortage of qualified individuals in this field. Hi, I'm Terry with Loyola University, Maryland's Forensic Science Department. Loyola is one of the only colleges in the country offering advanced degrees in forensic pattern analysis and biological forensics. Our courses, taught by forensic experts, feature hands-on training and small class sizes. They are based on real crime scene and forensic examiner training programs to ensure you are ready to make a difference. Our programs are open to students from a variety of academic backgrounds because we believe everyone can contribute to solving crimes. So what are you waiting for? Discover the excitement of forensic science at Loyola University, Maryland. Visit loyola.edu forward slash forensic for more information. That's loyola.edu forward slash forensic because you are ready to make a difference. Join one of Loyola University, Maryland's forensic science programs today. Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale with Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases and shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval, no minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details.